the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode seven of Magic Markets and the first one of 2021. It is a new year, although many of us would be hard pressed to say so, particularly if you live in the UK right now and uh, in South Africa where we have lockdown light, which may become lockdown heavy. We actually just don't know yet. Mo, you are sitting in Canada where it is snowing and you've been locked down. I hope you at least managed to have a good holiday despite uh, all those challenges. You know what? Holiday is a relative term. I think in a world where everyone's kind of locked down, we've all pretty much just been hunkering down, staying at home, I guess spending time with the family, which is good, uh, and also provides some time to be introspective, uh, put the year into perspective, uh, and plan for the year ahead. Because the fact of the matter is that, you know, history tends to rhyme. Uh, you know, there's that saying, history rhymes. So let's see what we can learn. Uh, I certainly spend the time doing a lot of thinking. And hopefully we can share some of that with our with our listeners today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly what this show is about. And I, and, oh, unfortunately, Auntie Rona did visit my household in a big way. So um, if I sound out of breath on this podcast or start wildly coughing, then at least everyone knows why. But I'm on about day 12 now of uh, the beloved coronavirus. And still, I run out of air sometimes, actually, um, which is not so not so great. But thankful that no one in my family ended up in hospital, which is about all you can be thankful for when dealing with this thing because it is a killer and I just hope all our listeners are taking the right precautions and looking after themselves because you really, really do not want to catch this thing. So Mo, on to happier topics. Well, maybe happier. You can you can tell us shortly. I think we're going to talk about how we did in 2020, actually. It's a bit of a report card on uh, from an investment perspective, how things went and a few lessons learned and what we did well and what we think we could have done better and also just how we've positioned our portfolios for 2021. So I'm going to ask you to go first. I mean, on the whole, was 2020 a good year for the Mono's family balance sheet or was it uh, was it not as hot as you would have liked? Look, in the context of uh, in the context of a coronavirus pandemic, it certainly wasn't a year to take your breath away. And I, I don't mean to say that tongue in terrible, cheek, terrible analogy <laughs> currently as I sit here breathing away or trying to. Look, uh, let, let's get serious. I mean, 2020, uh, at the start of the year, no one knew what was coming. And it's as simple as that. Uh, so, you know, when I went into 2020, uh, I certainly had a, a reasonably sized equity exposure. I like to look at my portfolio across asset classes. So I know a lot of people kind of just look at the equities, how have the equities done. Uh, I like to look at the whole picture. Uh, a lot of people who follow me on, on monos.com will know that I, I do tend to be a little bit risk averse. So I've got stuff in the portfolio like hedges. Uh, I, I have a sizable gold position, which is a bit of a legacy position, but I'm happy with that and I keep that. And so when I look at the portfolio as a whole, or even just in part, if I look at the, the portion that was exposed to equities, I managed to, to outperform the S&P 500, which is, is great. Um, but 
Also, what's worth saying is that I managed to do that with a slightly lower equity exposure because what I did is I went into 2020, March scared me completely. And that taught me a very valuable lesson that I'd like to share with the listeners is that whilst I thought I was managing my risk and I was comfortable, I probably wasn't as active as I should have been in terms of, of managing my risk budget. Uh, and so when March happened, I realized that, wow, you know, your portfolio can take quite a big smack. What does that mean in terms of rands and cents or dollars and cents? Uh, and so post the slump in March, I did wait for a bit of a recovery and then actively de-risked my portfolio around July and August. Uh, and I guess the learning for me is maybe that was de-risking prematurely. We know what happened to markets from August to then the second half of the year was absolutely stellar. But I have no regrets because it meant that I was just realigning to my own strategy, giving myself the kind of buffer I required. Uh, and there are learnings along the way. And now we can go into the, the nuts and bolts a little bit later on in the show. Uh, but, you know, there's some stocks that did phenomenally well uh, and there's some that, that did badly. And anyone who goes out there and tells you that, you know, that everything they've touched turned into gold uh, and, uh, you know, every trade's a winning trade, they're a huckster. You know, they're not telling you the truth. The fact of the matter is portfolio management is about swinging with the losses and just making sure that your winners outpace your losses over a period of time. So, yeah, I mean, I I'd like to hear how you did as well. And then we can go into maybe some of the, the actual winners and losers and what worked within portfolios, I guess, specifically equities, because that's what a lot of our listeners seem to be quite interested in. Yeah, although it's good to hear about the other asset classes as well. So, I mean, I was in a very different position in that I was not heavily in the market before the crash. So I was actually super lucky. I had this kind of once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I've written about on the Finance Coast and, and spoken about on other podcasts as well, where suddenly my years of not necessarily building a big equity portfolio because the JSC had underperformed for a long time. I was very focused on rather paying down debt um, and building a classic car, which is, you know, maybe a good financial thing and maybe not. But either way, I wasn't very heavily in the markets and then the whole world collapsed and suddenly I had this once in a lifetime opportunity open up in front of me to really have a full go, uh, which I did by taking a whole lot of money out of my access bond, which is very high risk and definitely not, uh, not recommended for everyone, like everything on the show that is not financial advice for you to go and do yourself. But for my specific situation, it worked and I'm glad I did it. It worked really well. It's something you said, Mo, that I just want to pick up on for our listeners. So, you know, you benchmarked your portfolio against the S&P 500, which is a broad market index that tracks a, a basket of 500 American stocks. And quite famously, Tesla was only recently added to that and came in as one of the biggest stocks in the index, uh, the reason being that it hadn't been profitable until then. So it's an index of profitable, you know, large, nicely investable American stocks, basically. And that point you make about how your portfolio has outperform that despite being lower in, in equity exposure is really interesting because that's more like a balanced fund. So if anyone ever hears that term, it, it means it's a lower risk way of managing your money. So for example, there's an underpin of gold, which is historically less volatile and different risks to stocks over the long term. So if you've beaten the S&P 500 by having a less risky portfolio, you've done very well because your risk return ratio is actually fantastic. And it's an important concept for our listeners to understand that everything must be viewed in context. If you've gone and made 8% out of a pure risky equities portfolio in a given year, you actually have not had a good year at all. You could have gotten that by going and just paying down your bond. Similarly, if you've gotten 5% in a money market account, that's about right. You can't expect to be making 15% in the money market. So that's impressive that you managed to beat the S&P 500. The way I went this year was good. I mean, um, more or less a 40% return, give or take. It's not... I should really do a fancy calculation to go and analyze it and take into account when all the money went in and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is 
I have 40% more Randellas in my account today than I put in over the course of the year, which is not bad. Um, Ghost, you, you, you can't pull that trick on annualizing your returns like we spoke about in our GDP podcast. You can't do that. I've learned this from Stats SA. I'm trying to just analyze these returns and make them sound magical. Um, and it was basically by building a decent basket of SA stocks to start with. Um, I jumped into Sassel when a lot of people were, were too scared to do so. I just looked at that oil price and I just thought, this is nonsense. I mean, when the world returns to normal, people need oil. We still need to get around. We might get around slightly less than we used to, but we still need to get around. So Sassel was, uh, was very kind to me. There were a bunch of other stocks where I managed to mess it up completely. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Capitec. I've written about that often. But I still managed to lose money on Capitec last year, which must make me one of the only people who did because the share price rose tremendously last year. I bought in too early and then sold too early. So <laughs> you know, it just shows you, you can't possibly get them right. I mean, I also missed out on Tesla, um, which again, I'm okay with because you, know, you have to follow an investment process. If you're not going to go through a, a logical process and arrive at a view and have conviction in your own view and then act on it, then you're just throwing darts anyway. You're never going to get it right mm -hmm. every time, which is the point you made earlier, but you've got to at least go through a proper process. And a proper process with a good outcome is then, is then what you hope for. Sometimes you'll go through a proper process and have a bad outcome, but then you've got to learn from it. So, you know, I didn't get Tesla. I didn't get Zoom. Um, I don't know if you got either of those two superstars. You're smiling. Ah, oh, there yeah, we go. So, definitely not Tesla. I mean... I think we spoke about it on, on our show on sustainable investing, yes. but you know, I, I like the company. I like Tesla. I like what they're doing. Uh, I just think that, you know, I couldn't attach the, the value to the stock. The stock for me has been expensive and continues to be even more expensive at the levels we see right now. So I definitely missed out on, on the Tesla boat. Um, and, you know, it, like you say, follow a process, follow what you're comfortable with. You mentioned Zoom. Uh, I was lucky enough to get into Zoom quite early uh, and you know, not like it's, it's skill, skill had, mode. It, just it, take it. <laughs> I um, I I think it's it's had the the swan song for the year. You know, I mean, everyone's on Zoom simply because this whole work from home has happened. And and the question mark for me is, you know, we're already seeing Zoom trade back down with a three hundred handle after going all the way up to six hundred. So you know, it's come off from its its very heady highs that it had in the latter part of last year. Can Zoom sustain its performance uh, for twenty twenty one? Uh, is it a year when we see vaccines rolled out and people go back to traditional work environments or will Zoom manage to continue monetizing its existing client base? Have we changed how we work fundamentally forever? Uh, and I think at 600, it was pricing in too much. Uh, but down here in the 300s, upper 300s, I'm still happy to hold that stock in, in my portfolio. Um, you know, since we're talking about specific stocks, you know, a lot of the stuff that I guess I benefited and some of my biggest winners were really along the lines of, of big tech uh, and changing how the world is working. So, for example, there's a company called Appian, which uh, which came up onto my radar. Again, you, you trade these in the US. So for, for South African investors, I'm guessing you'll be able to pick it up on one of the platforms that you're able to, to, to use down there. But Appian is a stock that basically uses low code development for people looking to develop their software uh, and they've managed to, to 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 have a stellar year you know there's stocks like that where you know the world's moving and transitioning towards being a lot more tech based and so whether you like it or not a lot of these stocks have had a phenomenal year um, some of your more traditional stock stuff that really didn't work for me in the portfolio was that i had a, a reasonably large allocation to to reits 
Now, these are not, not, not domestically, not in South Africa, but global REITs. And you'd think that, you know, bricks and mortar, as, as stable as bricks and mortar, but in a world where people are changing, they're working from home. You know, office real estate is is in a very difficult space. I was lucky enough in that I, I held a lot of REITs that had more industrial exposure, warehousing, so that's been slightly more defensive in the portfolio. The income from those have been kind of underpinned. Uh, but I think as a sector, I, I, that's one of the sectors that hurt me the hardest in my overall portfolio. Just on REITs, I, I often irritate people by saying this, but you know, a lot of people always default to, well, you should only ever buy index tracking funds, and stay away from trying to pick stocks, which I think is uh, is really a pity. And actually, it doesn't give enough people it doesn't give people enough credit for just applying common sense and being willing to actually go on a journey of learning. And the REIT space is a perfect example. You can go and buy a REIT index in South Africa, and you will be the proud owner of a ton of shopping malls. Wonderful, you know, just what I always wanted. Or you can go and do a bit of stock picking on the REIT space in South Africa. So I'm a shareholder in Storage, for example, which is as their name suggests, storage. It's storage units. People need that. They're going to keep needing that. That is nothing like shopping malls. It got sold down with the rest of the REIT industry when the whole world blew up. Yes, storage is not a stock that's going to do 40% for me in a year. There's no chance. But it will do 15%. And risk-weighted return, that's okay. You know, storage is not going to blow up tomorrow. There's no way that every single one of their customers is going to phone them and say, sorry, we don't need that little storage garage anymore. Another interesting one on the JSC, it's called Sirius Real Estate. And they are a German focused REITs. And again, a South African investor, without using your foreign allowance, can climb into Sirius and go and own a whole lot of German properties. And if your goal is diversification of your portfolio, you know, positioning it for growth from a variety of places, that is that is cool, you know, as an alternative to going and buying the index fund. And obviously, you have to always go do your homework and you have to know what you're doing. You can't just go and throw darts and hope for the best. But I think with enough of a commitment to learning, a lot of people can actually make really sensible decisions and uh, and learn from them along the way. And it's a hell of a lot more exciting than just buying index funds. And I think that's part of what piques people's interest in investing is when you can go and actually take a view on a specific stock, position your portfolio, and then learn from it. Then it becomes a hobby and it becomes a passion as opposed to a grudge order, you know, a grudge purchase debit order on your bank account every month. It's just my opinion. And I know it sometimes upsets people, but it's it is what it is. Yeah, look, I think I think that the one technicality to that ghost is that it does take a lot of time. So if you're going to be stock picking, you've got to have the time to go there and do your homework. I mean, think of it as if you were buying a small business, you would go and kick the tires and you'd look at the financials and you'd go and investigate and do a proper due diligence before you invested in a small business. And I think people need to approach their investing in stocks in, in a similar way. Uh, it's probably a little bit easier in that a lot of the information is publicly available. Uh, but this is, it needs to be a passion, but it's also a lot of work. And I think that's probably why people default to index funds for at least a core of their portfolio. And then they, I guess some people play around at the periphery with stock specific picks. Uh, but I guess, you know, just cognizant of our time, we have committed to our listeners to keep this a lot shorter. You know, Ghost, what are your key ideas? You know, what are some of the things you're looking at for 2021? Uh, and where can we make some money? Yeah, so at the end of last year, I repositioned the portfolio quite heavily. I got out of Sassel because I'm very worried about this latest round of lockdowns. And, you know, Sassel's already sold off a hell of a lot of their assets. They've already tried to bring the debt down. There's not that much wiggle room left. They can't afford for oil to crash again. Funnily enough, oil is actually holding up really well. But again, you know, you form a view and you act on it. So I took the Sassel money out and I also sold down 80% of my MassMart stake, which uh, worked out really well for me last year. I bought in too early, but I did okay in the end. Again, I'm worried about durable consumer in this space. 
And I went and bought four gold miners, um, Anglo, DRD, uh, Harmony, and Goldfields. I just wanted a okay, – it's funny you say homework. I just don't have time to go and figure out which one is best, so I bought all four because chances are that's a decent way to get broad gold exposure um, in, a South African, in the South African mining industry. And the reason I did that is because I think gold's going to do well this year and I think the RAND's going to do poorly. And I know everyone is talking about a weak dollar year, and I think that's something you and I will almost certainly address many times on this show. But as much as the dollar's going to maybe have a tough year, I think the RAND is going to have a worse year. And at the end of the day, I'm sitting here in South Africa, I can invest in these JSC-listed companies that are exporting, so they're actually earning dollars. So if the RAND gets worse, they do better. And I've positioned my portfolio quite strongly this year for RAND weakness. And funnily enough, as we sit here, the RAND had a really tough day today. Uh, my portfolio had a very good day. It's sometimes sad when I see my portfolio do well at the expense of my country, but you know that's that's how it goes. Yeah, it's, it's probably also a good opportunity for listeners to go and listen to our very first podcast where we spoke about how I certainly think about the RAND. You know, I, I'm going to jump right in because I, I look at global stocks now predominantly. And, you know, I came across an interesting one called McKesson. Uh, and it's a name that a lot of people won't know no, about. No, it's another and gem it's, I've never heard of. <laughs> now, now, McKesson, in the U.S., when it comes to distribution of medications, they're, they're three large players. And McKesson is one of those. And the reason why I like it is, you know, it's a company that has strong cash flows. It pays a reasonable dividend. Uh, and certainly in an era where healthcare is going to be very important, another one that I'm looking at is, is, is Teladoc. It's something I've held in the portfolio. It's all about telemedicine and effectively, you know, remotely allowing doctors to, to provide healthcare solutions to their patients. So, so Teladoc's on the radar for me. McKesson's in there. That's very much a, a healthcare type of uh, type of theme that comes through. Uh, I'd be remiss if I, if I said that I, I wasn't interested in looking at, at Pfizer. I just think it hasn't you know, been this phenomenal stock that's come through and they're producing literally millions and millions and millions of vaccines for people around the world. But remember, Pfizer is more than just the vaccine. So I'm looking at a vaccine play there as well as the rest of the Pfizer stable. Again, a reasonably decent dividend payer. Uh, and those are just some of the names I'm looking at because I think you know, as we're standing right now, 2021 is not shaping up to be this phenomenal utopian world just yet. You know, COVID cases are rising. Uh, we've got lockdowns in, in a lot of the world. So playing some of those stock picks are a little bit more defensive. Uh, some of the other names we can get into probably in, in future shows, but those are just some of the ideas that I'm looking at right now. And there's something we've got to talk about. As you mentioned, the dollar weakness, that's it. I think we've got to do a whole show on that. Uh, and then also, I guess, Bitcoin. So maybe just teasing our listeners for stuff that we can throw out there, because I think those are all really hot. Uh, whether you jump in right now or wait for a better opportunity, certainly I think with Bitcoin, waiting for a better opportunity might be a decent strategy. Uh, but let's unpack that in a future show. Yeah, I think one big theme this year is going to be Bitcoin, which seems to have come out of the fringes and is getting taken a lot more seriously by a lot more institutions. So that's going to be a huge theme this year. I think it's going to be an amazing year in the markets. There's going to be a lot to learn and a lot of lessons to take forward for years to come. So I'm super excited about uh, that element of 2021 and being able to do magic markets with you, Mo. We're pretty much out of time for this first episode of the year. So thank you very much for your time. And uh, we look forward to hearing from our listeners, getting your ideas for topics for the show, what you want to hear. Go and rate us on the various platforms, share the show with your friends, and uh, let's build magic markets in 2021. Thank you, Mo. Thanks very much, and thanks to our listeners. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.